as little as $5 and every donation is tax deductible. We thank you in advance for that. Now stay tuned for Radio Gag, Gays Against Guns, coming up. Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Kathy Marino Thomas. And I'm Sean Stefanik, and we are both organizers with Gays Against Guns. So, so great to be here tonight. I hope everyone's having a good time. Before we dive into this week's show, I'd like to encourage you to become a WBAI buddy. A buddy is someone who keeps our unique, volunteer-run radio show going by signing up to give a small donation every month. If everyone chips in a small amount, it keeps the lights on at WBAI and allows us to bring you this show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 and become a buddy in the name of Radio Gag. If you give $50 or more, you will receive an advanced copy of Grace Will Lead Us Home by Jennifer Berry Hawes about the Charleston Church Massacre and the hard and inspiring journey to forgiveness. A $25 donation will get you a set of gag pins. It's totally awesome, fab swag, just gotta say. (laughs) (laughs) This week, though, we will be discussing some of the elements of gun violence that is towards the black community. We will share a couple of interesting perspectives, and it's a very huge topic, so we're only going to be able to scratch the surface of this during our brief time tonight. But uh, first and foremost, Gag always begins each meeting, as with their shows, with an in-memoriam as a way to remind us of why we do this work. This week, we're going to remember William Morris and Marcus Clark, the first murders of 2019 in Chicago. Wilbert Morris and Marcus Clark, both 25, were the first murders of 2019 for Chicago. Chicago's first two murder victims of the year were starting to turn their lives around. Both were signed up for a construction training program, and both were gunned down just four days before the class started. Marcus Clark and Wilbert Morris were shot to death on South Indiana Avenue. Police said the two were found in a car, along with a weapon. Police said the shots that killed Clark came from another car. No one has been arrested for the shooting. Pastor Corey Brooks' church is about two miles from the site of the shooting. Brooks said he knew a bit about the background that might have prompted the shooting, but didn't know the specifics. Just about a month before the shooting, Brooks sat down for pizza with Clark and Morris to discuss an interesting opportunity. Brooks has been working to build a community center across the street from his church. He asked Clark and Morris for help negotiating peace between area gangs so the community center could be a safe place for everyone. He also offered the two of them a chance to participate in a construction class offered through Brooks's nonprofit organization, Project Hood. They were excited about it. They were excited that somebody offered them an alternative. They wanted something different, Brooks said. Brooks had run three of these construction training programs before. They're aimed at people in gangs or with criminal records, and the people who finish the program get certified and placed in jobs. Clark and Morris were strategizing ways to get other young men involved in the program, and worrying that even if a lot of people bought into peace, it would only take a few to ruin it. Levendale Glass was at the diner, too. Mr. Glass works alongside Pastor Brooks, trying to help stop the violence on Chicago's south side. Mr. Glass said he had known Morris since Morris was in seventh grade 
and felt as if he was part of the family. He laughed as he remembered him. Wilbur was full of life, funny, a child. I've heard different bad things, but I never saw that in him. All I've seen was laughing, singing a song, playing, and caring, Mr. Glass said. Morse lived with his mom, and Glass said the two were crazy about each other. She's crushed. I'm crushed. It's a lot of people crushed behind this. At the time of the meeting, Morris had been out of prison for about two months. He had served almost a year for drug possession. Morris's criminal record shows two other stints in prison, one for aggravated battery, the other for an illegal gun. But Mr. Glass said Morris was looking for a better way forward. Marcus Clark lived with his longtime girlfriend, Raven Smith. She described him as a people person and a nice, supportive boyfriend. He liked to be around people and be happy and laugh and play, she said. He was kind. He was a real sweetheart. Clark leaves behind a three-year-old daughter. His record shows several arrests, including a robbery in 2011 for which he was sentenced to three years in prison. Smith said Clark used to get in trouble, but she saw he wanted to change. Pastor Brooks said his outreach to Clark and Morris was part of an effort to try and help the hardcore guys on the streets of Chicago. I felt terrible for the families of Wilbur and Marcus. You know that, Sean? Yeah. They were obviously trying to change their path. No suspects have been caught. The Chicago police do suspect gang violence, but there's just no further information. Sad. On to the news, the current news here in New York State. The best thing to happen in the news around gun violence happened in Albany. A whole bunch of bills passed in favor of sensible gun laws. The red flag bill allows law enforcement officials, families, household members, or school officials to seek a court order requiring a person likely to harm themselves or others to relinquish firearms in their possession. The Effective Background Check Act extends background checks in New York State to 10 days. It was a mere 72 hours before this bill. A bump stock ban prohibits the possession of a of a device that accelerates the rate of a of fire of a firearm. No arming teachers in this state. That's right. Ah, uh, no. This <laughs> <laughs> this one prevents K K through 12 schools from authorizing anyone other than a security officer, school resource officer, or law enforcement officer from carrying a firearm on school grounds. Um, another of my favorites. An out-of-state mental health records bill requires any out-of-state applicant for gun permits to allow the New York State permitting authorities to review their mental health records. Finally, just this week, a ban on toy guns. Guns are not toys. I'm particularly excited about this one. We need this kind of forward thinking on a federal level. Gag was there for the bill signing, and it was really a wonderful experience. Speaker Pelosi, or should I say President Pelosi, <laughs> was there for the for the occasion, and she was very inspiring. Yes, and you even had a picture with her. I sure did. Oh, yeah, it looked amazing, <laughs> both of you. <laughs> you know, something else that also really could help things is a little forward thinking and a little education about a lot of mm, this. I'd say. 
Education might do some good to remind others, uh, getting back to the subject, about how the black community are more at risk, Mm -hmm. much higher numbers being at risk against gun violence, and that is injuries as well as fatalities. Black men, I just wanted to mention, suffer significantly more fatalities due to gun violence than whites and non-black Hispanics. 32% more have been threatened or intimidated by someone with a gun versus 20% of whites and 25% of non-black Hispanics. These numbers can't possibly even present the entire picture when we're just talking about the fatalities and not the injuries as well. Also, a much higher percentage of black men and women also know someone who has been killed by gun violence. And this list goes on. But the question is why? Some answers may point to the social and economical statuses, while others point to the geographical matter. For instance... Urban communities in Missouri, Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana have some of the highest numbers. These are areas with poorly kept maintenance and have low or no involvement with voting or political climates. And then there's the proverbial police problem. You know, when we originally wanted to do this show uh, earlier in February, I asked a co-worker of mine, of mine, Miss Suzette Whitaker, about why she thinks this might be, her being a member of the community. Here she is now to give us some insight. So, Susie, I've been reading through some statistics about how the black community, primarily men, are not only higher in numbers for gun violence, both injury and fatality, but that they're also overlooked when it comes to the national gun control debate. Can you give us your thoughts on why that is? Okay, Sean. My thoughts are a lot of police officers have biased feelings towards non-whites before they become police officers. And once they get their badge, they now feel that they have that power to execute their biased feelings. Also, my feelings are there are so many officers that does not have these kind of feelings, but I think that their partner does, and they feel if they see something or say something, they will be blackballed within the force. And it's also a known fact that a lot of the police stations across the country are telling these officers to harm non-whites and to go as far as to killing them, and if they can get away with it, they do. Example. A video came out in Georgia about a cop pulling over a woman, and she was in such a fear to take her hand off the wheel because she thought she would get shot, and the Georgia cop told her, ma'am, don't be afraid, we only kill blacks. Now, thank God that the captain saw this and did let go of this officer. It's also my thought that the recruiters are getting these cops straight out of high school and the academy are not really preparing them correctly. And a lot of them who really never had any real interactions with non-whites tend to have a stereotypical thought towards us. So once they do go out on the field and they come across, a lot of them get the stereotypical goes in their head. If they see someone, guy standing at the corner, or they're drug dealers. If they see someone in a nice car, or, or they're dealing, or they're selling, or what have you, so that typical thought goes into them, and a lot of them react before really asking any questions. That's my thought on the matter. So this is definitely an issue of education, primarily, in some cases. Yes, they definitely need to be educated. Definitely, definitely. Especially if you know you're a cop, they're recruiting these cops in an area where there's not that, not many whites live in that area that need to educate them. Definitely. Thank you so much, Susie. It hurts me to hear those words. 
Gun violence and abuse of guns is serious, regardless of the demographic. However, it seems our siblings of color suffer particularly around this issue. I mean, the leading cause of death among, among teens of color ages 15 to 19 is gun-related homicide. Children and teens in the community are less than 15% of the total overall child population, but they account for 45% of all child and teen-related gun deaths. I mean, that's outrageous. For decades, black and brown youth have fought for gun reform, police reform, progressive policies around gun access, and restorative justice. So why aren't these issues gaining any traction? Some say anti-black racism has always normalized the murders of black and brown children, and the fight to redress that continues. I had a talk with one of my friends at work about the topic of black men and gun violence. Donald Young works in our food service area. He grew up in the South Bronx and has an interesting take on the subject. Let's give a listen to Don. Tell us, tell the audience what you do for a living. Well, actually, I'm presently working in dining services. I've been a part of that working career for like 25 years. That's wonderful. And where did you grow up? In the Bronx, South Bronx, 170 in Southern, um, Southern Boulevard. And you lived there your whole life? Oh, your actually, young life? Yeah, my young life. Actually, presently I'm on the west side of the Bronx, still in the Bronx, on the west side. So as a black man raised in the Bronx, not having anything to do with gang violence in your lifetime, please tell our listeners how gun violence has affected you in your life. It's hmm, a good question. Actually, that's a topic that's been weighing on my conscience somewhat heavily. Um, as far as gun violence is, 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 is concerned, I think it's really out of control. Um, safe haven doesn't exist anymore, as you probably say as well. Um, we're not safe at our homes. Our kids are not safe in school. We're not safe in public places. Even job appointment is not really safe. And what really got me is the church is no longer safe anymore as well. And it's sad because we have these video games that's out promoting gun violence with our young youth, you know what I mean? Um, the, 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 the video games, the, the music industry, especially in the hip hop industry, our young youth are dying from gun violence. And it's really sad because not only here, but abroad as well, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And to be honest with you, I try to be optimistic about it, but relatively speaking, I think it's just going to get worse. Only because the powers that be are leaning towards NWO, which actually means New World Order. And to be honest with you, Miss Kathy, in order for that to be set in place or implemented, chaos has to occur. And I actually see that that's been going on for years, but it's coming becoming more apparent now. And it's, I mean, I'm a big protester against gun violence, but at the end of the day, we have no control over it. Do you feel like the media targets young black men? Do you think that they get set up for failure in this area? Yes, it's all a part of, like I said, once again, NWO, New World. It's all a part of the game plan, you know what I mean? In, 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 in any society, actually, not only in the, the um, low-income neighborhoods, it's spreading out even into the middle class and the upper class, so it's no discrimination. Yeah. The game plan was to be actually in with the with the low income neighborhoods, but like I said, it's out of control now. It's 
It's affecting everyone. Thank you. If I had to, uh, if I give you one minute to say something to our listeners about this issue as it relates to young black men, what would you say? Actually, just try to stay focused, choose the people that you hang around, make good choices because the choices you make will be your end result. The decisions you make will be your conclusion. Basically it. Thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Ms. Kathy. Thanks to Donald Young for his insight on this topic. It's maddening that it seems so many forces are at work to pull folks in the wrong direction. Statistics also seem to support Donald's opinion, unfortunately. So what's being done on the positive side to address some of the issues surrounding people of color in the U.S.? I'm so glad you asked me that question. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading a lot on this subject in preparation for our show, and I came across an interesting program that showed some promise. Ceasefire is a nearly 20-year-old strategy that had upended how police departments dealt with gang violence, for example. Under Ceasefire, police teamed up with community leaders to identify young people most at risk of shooting someone or being shot, talked to them directly about the risks they faced, offered them support, and promised a tough crackdown on the groups that continued shooting. In Boston, the city that developed ceasefire, the average monthly number of youth homicides dropped by 63% in the first two years it was launched. The U.S. Department of Justice's What Works website for crime policy had given a green check next to ceasefire, labeling it effective, the highest rating and one few programs receive. Mass shootings, unsurprisingly, drive the nation's debate on gun violence. But as horrific as these massacres are, by most counts, they represent less than 1% of all gun homicides. America's high rate of gun murders isn't caused by events like Sandy Hook and Parkland. It's fueled by a relentless drumbeat of deaths of black men. I do believe the most powerful solutions come from legislation, implementation of equal rights bills, training, and sensible gun legislation. Speaking of sensible gun legislation, with the House now in Democratic hands, Yay. yes, there is, there is actually a possibility of addressing some of this legislation, at least in one arm of the government. In fact, the House passed the most significant gun control measure in more than two decades on last Wednesday when it approved the first of two bills aimed at broadening the federal background check system for firearm purchases. Yes. Damn, two decades. I, did it really have to take that long? I'm seriously? telling you, well, Republicans, like, you know. I know, right? Like, seriously. (laughs) So we then spoke to one of our fellow gag organizers, Jay Walker, about being a black man in America, full of inequality around this issue and what could move us in the right direction. I'll ask you the question that I've been asking uh, in interviews for this show, and that is, um, as a black man, how has gun violence particularly influenced you in your life? you know, the, those are the instances where, where I have felt the most, you know, at threat from gun 
I guess that we could just automatically assume you've been stopped and frisked. Absolutely, I have been stopped and frisked. Yes, I'm sorry that we have to just (laughs) have that be an assumption. I apologize for that. But I hear that um, the House has a bill, H.R. 125, that is all about police and interactions with the community and how to train them better around gun violence. What do you think about that? Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, H.R. 125, it's basically it's to to provide grants to the states um, for law enforcement that requires sensitivity training for for law enforcement officers of that state. Um, And basically it incentivizes the states to require um, independent investigation and prosecution in instances in which deadly force has been used by police officers. So it's a really huge step in the right direction. It's really all about starting that process of getting police and law enforcement to actually serve the people in the communities rather than occupying them. So you see this as a positive thing? It's absolutely a positive thing. It's already been introduced into the House. Hopefully a um, a parallel bill will be introduced in the Senate and we'll actually have the opportunity of getting a vote. That's always the worry when we have a, when we have a split government. But I absolutely am in favor of it and in favor of a lot more along in that direction. So uh, perhaps uh, Gays Against Guns can address uh, the urgent need for a bill like that to actually move. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're going to be taking our trip down to D.C. on February 14th for our Hearts Are Broken uh, action. And, um, you know, part of that action is going to be to highlight the bills that have already been introduced in the new Congress uh, in the House of Representatives to combat gun violence. And this is one that I consider to be one of those one of those bills. That's pretty awesome. That's the uh, the first anniversary of Parkland, isn't it? February fourteenth. It, it absolutely is. It's, uh, it seems it's like a good day for a trip. It's a good day for a trip to DC. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jay. I hope you don't mind if we tap you again to follow up on this bill and gain some more information as it moves along in its legislative process. I am at your service. <laughs> thank you so much. You have a good day. You too, Kathy. My hope is that the Senate will follow suit and continue to take up this legislation. It certainly would be a step in the right direction. We thank Jay for his insight. Young black men are more likely to be shot and killed by police than young white men. They are more likely to face ongoing everyday slights and indignities at the hands of police. By the way, Gag did go down to Washington, D.C. on Valentine's Day. Eight people were arrested while producing a human heart, a broken human heart on the floor of the heart building, and... I was one of them. Ooh, congrats. (laughs) Thank you. First arrest. It was fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, on a more political note, we also uh, visited three non-supportive senators and let them know that they were on the wrong side of history. And we gave them some demands we'd like to see. We also visited three very good supportive senators and presented them with thank you cards for their support. And of course, sang them a couple of, uh, one particular thank you song. They were very (laughs) appreciative, of course. Of course they did. Well, we're almost out of time. That was quick, Sean. Why don't you tell folks how they can get involved with us? Absolutely. Uh, well, there's uh, first and foremost one great way to get involved with us was to come to one of our meetings here in New York City. We meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m. At, in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 208 West 13th Street. Our next meeting is going to be March 14th, where we will be planning all kinds of great, neat actions and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. We are a most all-inclusive 
group of people, fabulously all-inclusive. We will actually be honoring women killed in gun violence with our iconic uh, human beings this coming Friday, March 8th, on the steps of the uh, New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue from 6 to 7 p.m., You can also find us online to find out more about working with us. So you can go to uh, gaysagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. And our Our wonderful videographer, Paul Rowley, is producing a documentary on the work of gag. The trailer was just released. Thank you, Paul. I can't wait to see the completed film. Oh, so now it looks like it's time to get down to those hell yeahs when we celebrate some of our favorite uh, sheroes and heroes of this week. Albany for passing a bucket of gun sense legislation. Hell Hell yeah! yeah. Gag for planning a great DC action. Hell Hell yeah. yeah! To all the folks that have or will sign up to be BAI buddies. Hell yeah! Thanks for listening. We're back next next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Don't forget you can listen to our previous shows anytime at WBAI's website, iTunes, or at gazeagainstguns.net. And don't forget to sign up to be a WBAI buddy. We will close out and leave you with uh, a song, as always, from our sister singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. This is Battle Hymn.
This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Radio Gag, Gays Against Guns, which is heard Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. right after the evening news. And if you appreciate what they bring to the table on a weekly basis, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 516-620-3602, 516-620-3602, or go to give to wbai.org online. And they actually have some... Uh, Thank you gifts, uh, Radio Gag have offered some thank you gifts. If you call right now and show your support to a program like Radio Gag, for a pledge of $50, you can get the book, Grace Will Lead Us Home. And for a pledge of $25, which is the basic um, membership, uh, basic uh, membership, is, uh, you will get a button, uh, a button that says Gays Against Guns. And that will be a thank you gift and saying that, yes, we do support the programming here at WBAI. Yes, we do support the, the mission statement that we have been carrying to the best of our ability for almost 60 years as WBAI has been part of the Pacifica Radio Network since 1960. We can only do this with you, not without you. 516 Three six zero two, or go to give to wbai.org online. Now, stay tuned for more fundraising programming coming up. I believe Green Street Radio will be here at eight p.m. today live. But in the meantime, take a listen to some more fundraising programming here at WBAI New York and wbai.org online. Hello everybody. The 2019 Brooklyn Folk Festival is coming right up April 5th through 7th presented by the July